Nothing to See Here is a deeply strange and strangely funny book about a hard luck woman in her late 20s hired to look after two kids who, when agitated, burst into flames. Which brings us to Caroline Marks. She hasn't yet physically combusted, but the 17-year-old Melbourne Beach phenom went into, went into the last event of 2019 WCT season with an outside shot at a world title. I am not thankful in the sense of gratitude for teen phenoms, but I am fascinated, riveted even, by surfers like Marx and Moore, Florence, Slater, Lynch, Hackman, and Godfrey before her, whose talent develops forward with such speed that the learning curve appears to angle down rather than up. Of course, prodigious uh, childhood talent can be dangerous, see Dave Eggers and Nikki Wood, as well as spectacular. And thus, my appreciation for Caroline Marks comes with a wish that she can ride the fire without being consumed by it. From the Encyclopedia of Surfing, I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. I'm Jamie Brewer in London. This is the Sunday Joint, where we roll up Matt Warshaw's weekly newsletter for a deep inhale of surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we pull a mix of Matt Warshaw's Sunday Joints from November 24th, 2019 on Child Phenoms, and then one of his latest on December 27th, 2020 about Aussie wonder kid, Kevin Brennan, AKA The Head. This episode is dedicated to child prodigies of surfing. Those who burn bright and then flamed out, surfers who have lived under the microscope and fulfilled the prophecies, and then those who looked into their futures and renounced the path laid before them. All this, and Jamie and I try to stump each other out with Stump My Bro on this episode of The Sunday Joint, an encyclopedia of surfing adjacent podcast. Well, we have a, well, first, Happy New Year, Jamie. How are you going? Happy, I'm all right. Happy New Year, Tyler. And we have a wonderful guest with us on our first episode of 2021, Mr. Matt Warshaw. How are you going? Happy New Year, Matt. Hey, boys. Happy New Year to you. Happy what New Year, What time is Matt? it? So let's see, 6 o'clock, New York. 6, six New York. And uh, Jamie. So it's five hours. So I feel like I've got to get back into the swing of things for school. I'm already throwing out maths problems. Five hours ahead is uh, just just past. Tyler, <laughs> that's Tyler, the stump said, right there. He said he said maths maths problems. <laughs> well, it makes sense. Like America, it doesn't make sense because it's short. What is math short for? <laughs> I just like maths. Did well in maths. Mathematics, you know. Jody and I will go on these riffs where like. I'll say to her, uh, I've never been to England, which we've talked about this before, and I'm mm -hmm. dying to go. In fact, I was going to go this year. And we were going to go. Yeah. I was going to go meet my EOS partner, Mark Auger, and go to the pool. And had I gone and had I known you then, uh, Jamie, we would have met you at the pool. I would have loved to have gone. But we didn't go because COVID and everything. But Jody and I both love England and and I'll say like things like, hey, you got Jody, did you put your trainers on this morning? 
and or, or did, did you are you wearing your are you wearing your jumper and we'd, we'll just start trading all or i'll say you know oh uh look i i, I fell down and scratched my elbow i need to go to hospital and, and you know we just start doing all the well yeah stuff. like i want to know because when i was going up and i'd read stuff that you wrote there would be some words and i didn't get and then when i moved here i'm like wait how do, do other people like because you do use every so often some Englishisms or Britishisms in your writing. That's just from reading a lot of Flashman books. Flashman and, and also <laughs> uh, and PJ Woodhouse. So that's I, that's still the only two authors I read all the time. So they're both British, and I I don't know if I do use those in my writing, I would I'd be a little bit, bit embarrassed, I think, because uh, I'd be posing even harder than I. It's think seamless, I but it is it does what? make it it did make me think. Hang on a second, you know what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well, um, so, uh, we have a fun episode here. I've, we picked out child phenoms. I wanted to ask like, cause you, you, you posted the latest, uh, joint on Kevin Brennan. And I was curious, like when did like surf culture, surf media, whatever became like real cognizant of the prodigy surfer? Like when did that become a thing? Was it back when Kevin Brennan and like, other younger surfers in early 60s or, or was that a later phenomenon in surfing i mean phil edwards was the what was he called the gayuli how do you say it the i never knew how to say kid? that word yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think i think that there's never not been incredibly good surfers that were young but it's down to um when do the when do the rest of us start to realize it like when who was the first who was the first famous child phenom and i i think it was jeff hackman yeah probably I mean, robert was, august was robert august robert was august. in the magazines but he wouldn't have been famous famous would he robert august uh wasn't in the magazines let's see how old was he when he did endless summer because i know he was a good surfer before that but he wasn't famous he was just local he was just like seal beach famous or something you know Fam his was, dad was pretty big like what yeah well-known yeah, black august but i mean so when Robert August was a child hotshot, there was no surf media. So I mean, Bud Brown films, I suppose. But Jeff Hackman really early was, um, you could see, find these pictures of him and see this film. There's movies of him. I think he's 13 and he's riding Waimea, you know, in Big Sunset. And, he, and you know, he's tiny. You know, Jeff yeah. Hackman's was and it's and his dad. He didn't grow he, much from that age. No, yeah. He, but uh, <laughs> so he, he, you know, he's, He's tiny, but he looked, he also was built, even at 13, he was already had that adult build. He was a little, he'd just be, and he had that perfect Jeff Hackman style at 13, and he's riding behind his dad, who looks like a giant next to him, you know, and, uh, and there's a couple of those shots, like where Hackman's deeper than the adult guy. So at 13, he's already taking off deeper than all those guys. So he, he was the first guy that I, and he was entering those Bacaha contests when he was really little. There's a picture of an ABC or NBC uh, news guy with his suit on and his tie, you know, for white for wild world of sports. And he's just like bending over at the waist, <laughs> holding a microphone to this little, this little kid. And then by the time Hackman won that Duke contest, the first Duke in 65, I think he was, I think he was 17, which is still pretty young. Cause he beat all the, you know, he was the youngest guy in that contest. But so Hackman, I think was the first, but you know, uh, I was thinking a lot about this, because there's so many of them. Um, it is. And, and 
and the other one that was maybe like I thought was kind of like number two almost on my list was Margot Godfrey because yeah, uh, Margot. There used to be this thing in California called the Minahuni Contest, and it was the biggest event. I don't know how many of them there were, but it was this huge event that got paid a lot of attention to. And it was for surfers, I think 12 and under. So it was like a below, a, you know, way really young. And Margot, I think in, um, I think in 64, maybe, or 66, just won that thing. I beat every boy. Like, you know, she didn't win the girls division. She just won it. And, uh, you know, she was the best 12 year old surfer. She was 11, actually. Maybe. In fact, yeah. it was in, in this, this month's Surfer's Journal, Richard Kenman writes a big article about uh, La Jolla, and he mentioned it, and he said she was 11, and she beat the 12-year-old boys, and that was right. and she came back the next year and won it again. Right. And I think Carissa used to do that, didn't she? Like, yeah, yeah. She, she, yeah had, so. she had done that, too. Um, you know, I mean, Lisa Anderson, to, to, a, to a certain extent, not, not, young, not as young, but, uh, but also had, had taken out a few men in some heats as well. But it's, what, were, what do you think were the expectations then? Like now when you, when you have a young promising surfer now, like there's, there's like almost a path. There's a whole list of expectations. There's expectations to fulfill like competitive records. Right. Like then, like there was just saying, oh, this kid's amazing. But was there expectation for them to do more than just what they were doing? Yeah, and also the pressure, like, it's funny, Tyler, you said that, because, like, right now, it's like, if you're really big, there's a lot at stake, you know, there's a whole yeah. career at stake yeah. and a lot of fame, whereas when she, you know, did that, it, surfing was so much smaller, but was there still a lot of pressure there? Um, I don't know what the expectations ever would have been, you know, back when there wasn't much there wasn't much to be gained in terms of a sponsor. And there was just some contests you could be in. So let's see. Um, remember that kid in, in some of Bruce Brown's films called Peter Johnson? Yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. Another kid who wrote like Y-Mayo. Japan was, or something. There's a picture yes. of him with Mount Fuji in the background. Yes. <laughs> and, and also he, um, he also surfed Y-Mayo really young, like, like, you know, prepubescent, just a little guy. And they had this shot of him, uh, after surfing YMA and he, he, he roars and he's just like, <laughs> but, but what, what, you know, what was Peter Johnson supposed to do after he starred in this short, uh, short movie for Bruce Brown? I mean, he ended up being kind of a middling competitive surfer into his early adult years. And that, and I, you know, but, I mean, you know, maybe the smart thing to do is you know, there wasn't any career in it. So I don't, I don't know. You know, Jeff Hackman, of course, just rode the early pro thing beautifully. So he he did it. Um, yeah, uh, it. I I I think I was thinking about this because I'm like, okay, you know, trying to think of like phenoms of different generations or prodigies of different generations, and like, you know, you it's it's like, well, did they fulfill those prophecies or did they live up to them? And I'm like, well, it's kind of hard to say for a lot of the early. Uh, early surfers, early modern surfers in the 60s, 70s, I think the real kick for like, you know, the focus and attention on the, the, the prodigy or the, the, the next big thing really didn't start to like the 80s when the pro tour was in place. And there was like, 
a goal, a set goal to achieve as a young phenomenal surfer? Let me just, yeah, I think, I think mostly you're right, but I, I will say that Margot Godfrey uh, wrote about coming back. She, she won the world title when she was 15, uh, 1968. Mm-hmm. And she wrote about coming back to Santa Barbara. And back then, you know, the world title was every other year. Mm-hmm. And she said, going into the next contest, um, 1970 world contest, that is, she had had like, you know, two years of just incredible pressure on herself and from other people that clearly she was going to win as many, all these world titles that she wanted. And she said it was, it was really difficult and it, and it caused a lot of problems. And, and there's a lot about Margot that I don't think we know about, but I think there was a lot of stress on her and, and um, you know, she kind of, she kind of cracked, she, you know, she came back from 1970 and didn't win and just dropped out for a while. And I think she said it had, you know, there's somewhere she said it had a lot to do with how much pressure had been put on her or, or that she put on herself to be, gosh, what would she have been? She would have been like, you know, she Slater won. level world titles. Well, well, what I'm super, saying is that she super won. Super young. Because she won it when she was in 10th grade. Yeah, that's and right. She, yeah, she because I read that article. She said she was spent 11th grade and 12th grade. Everyone going, you know, like, what, right. you know. It's school, and, and I guess in Southern California, it was a big deal, and surfing right. was really big. Right. And it's funny how you can be into any small thing which seems esoteric to the general public, but if you're competitive, oh. you do take it seriously. Then. And if you, you know, what, whatever a kid's into, if it's you know whatever uh, your own, you know, your bubble or your or your local media or whatever, you know, you don't think of the world as being that much bigger if you're if you're. A, Margot Margot Godfrey winning the world title at 15, I don't think she could have imagined being going anything much beyond that. That's that's huge. No, you're, that's you're, you're right about those bubbles. Yeah. Like I tell all my friends, I'm like, I I'm doing this thing with Matt Warshaw, and they're like, Who's Who? he? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you don't know, and I want to shake them. And... <laughs> it is London. We're quite far from yeah. the coast. Once you get down to Cornwall, Matt, people, it gets me into restaurants. But like. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I don't know. It's always it's hard to say, like, because like, you, you got to go. Well, what is it that drives a kid to be that successful, anyway? So, you know, like, it's it. I guess we're getting close to talking about all the dangers of all this stuff, you know. And, and yeah, you know, I think that I think that Margot, in some sense, was probably a, a a pretty sort of, in some respects, a fragile person, anyway. And so, you push yourself that hard because. For whatever reason and then you know there was this sort of crash that she had after 1970 and she was kind of she was just gone like like for three or four years no one sort of heard and then she came back at the beginning of the pro thing and just owned that for a number of years but there was a period where she went away she found she got really religious she got married at a young age and i remember her saying something like she was just living on Kauai, making cookies and tending the garden and surfing with her husband and just out and then somebody called her and said, Hey, there's going to be a money contest. And she decides to come back. And she was still so young, but she was the, she was like the, uh, I don't know the, the you know, the 23 year old vet, she'd been <laughs> around forever and she kind of came back from it. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you're already kind of half nuts, uh, to, in some cases, I think to make yourself, a, uh, 
super successful at anything, you know? And, and so, um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I started thinking about it takes like... a certain person who totally immerses themselves. And right. I mean, kids, I mean, I guess we were, we were wondering, you know, like why do young people like totally go for it like that? And I guess that's the thing in order for a young person to develop and learn stuff, they do immerse themselves in stuff and things become so right. intense. Consuming or consuming. Yeah. Right. Like right. it did for us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Shame we didn't have the talent. <laughs> well, that is a question. Like, would you like, is it um <laughs> yeah, what would you ra- what would you rather have? Would you rather have like the the would you rather have talent and become a pro? And I'm I'm talking to both you guys because yeah. you're both very good. And Matt, you had a shot, and Tyler, maybe if if you live somewhere else, like you might have had a shot. Like would you rather become a real top, top, top level pro, you know, top five type of thing or top 10 or, but have to make it your full on career like that and kind of do all the sacrifices we're probably going to talk about in this podcast about being a young, successful athlete, or would you rather be a very mediocre surfer, like, you know, worse than I am, but still get to pretty go, good. right? It's pretty good. It's just if you fun. pause it in the right place, it looks really good. Um, if but like, but still have like a get to go surfing, you know, quite frequently. Get to go on trips and just have this really consistent surfing through your life type of but thing. You can't I mean, you can't answer that question looking back on it because any kid who's any kid's going to mm-hmm. say, "I want to be the you want to achieve what you want to achieve." You know, I would. I don't know. That's a that's a. That's a tricky question. I, um, I would rather be, I'd like to be the top, one of the top five surfers in the world <laughs> and get paid to go on surf trips. And like, I mean, no. if, you, if, you, if you have that opportunity, I think it's, it's kind of, kind of awesome. I mean, and it seems like if you, it just depends on what you have in place to handle it. Um, and that's, that's the big thing. Like, uh, if you have the support network and you have uh, positive people around you and positive influences, um, and you're going for that goal, I think you well, know there there is still risk, but you're in a better position than than if you don't have the support or you don't have a you know kind of a healthy background and the right people uh, supporting you. Then you can be you know it could re- be really damaging. There's so it's, you know, the, the, the ones that we sort of focus on and talk about are the people that got uh, seemingly got uh, destroyed by it or, or really compromised. And it's interesting to take the other route and say, well, which child prodigies um, came through all that? Okay. And the one that comes to mind is someone that probably wouldn't, most people don't think of as a child prodigy, but really was, was Sean Thompson because- oh, yeah. At 14, I think it was 14, I think his first world title, um, the first world contest he surfed in was in 1970 at, at, uh, at Bells when he was 14. And he, he was like the hot young gun from South Africa. And the people that had been to South Africa had, and seen him surf said, look, this guy is a, a legit threat to win this thing. He's unbelievably good. And it, and he didn't do that well at 14 and in uh, at Bell's. And two years later, in um, when he was 16 in San Diego, I've got some video here, and he's 16. Um, he could have won that really easily. The waves were terrible, but he would he had the right board. He was surfing so well, and 
you know, so he, he, he had been in, in, in South Africa at a time when we weren't getting much information from South Africa, but man, Sean was, was incredible, better, you know, as good as any child phenomenon we can all sort of think about. But to your point, Tyler, you know, loving family, everyone was sort of supportive, um, stayed in school. Um, I think he, you know, did his national service. He, I think was just, uh, his national service was done across the street from, from local surf break. And he got to take a lot of surf breaks. So. What, I'm, what I'm saying is he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he had the he government supporting him. No, yeah, he, I mean, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't uh, run from it, you know, like, so, no. so he, you know, and, and, and Sean Thompson is an interesting guy in a lot of ways, but the, the thing you wouldn't say about him is that, uh, that the early fame had any kind of, it didn't warp him at all. You know, he, he just became um, who he is today, you know. So there's a lot of people who you can say that, that not a lot, there's, there are people you can say, well, that were hugely talented and, and gifted and, and had the light, the, the, the light of attention on them early. And they just, they got, they got through it. But yeah, I think, go ahead. It's interesting. Cause like, you know, Tyler, you brought up the point of having like a support network in place. Um, and I was seeing, as you mentioned, Sean Thompson, it, Sean reminds me of like, you know, over here in England, like it's, it's talked about a bit more, you know, class is talked about a lot more here in England, I think, than it was in the States and how, you know, a certain kind of, uh, you know, upper middle to upper class, you know, the, there's a certain sense of comfort and entitlement, you know, with success and you kind of feel like you're comfortable with the success and you kind of expect it. And Sean always struck me as someone just very comfortable with success and someone, you know, just the way he talks and the way yeah. he, he feels like almost like, yeah, of course, you know, like people like we are going to have something like this. And it's, <laughs> but then I'm thinking of Kelly Slater, the opposite, who's definitely working class, you know, right, right. and, I don't know what, when you read his, and he he has spoken a lot, you know, he has got an autobiography. I mean, it wasn't put in place for him. Like, I feel like he kind of did it without, uh, I mean, he, there were a lot of people to help, but there were also a lot of ways it could have gone wrong for Slater. And yeah. he, is he a success? I mean, would you count him as someone who did succeed? I know he succeeded in a lot of ways, but did it, you know, is he? Well, if you think, if you sort of think about who got to be to, to, to adulthood, maybe, how would I say, not normal exactly, but who seems to have been least of, less affected by all of the fame. Sean seems less affected. Kelly, mm. Kelly seems like he was, Kelly seems like a product of all that. Yeah. You know, uh, just endless adulation and success and all that. And Kelly just seems like he's sort of on a different plane. And Sean, Sean seems Sean can come off as um, uh, sort of in, a little bit of sort of entitled. He's he always does seem upper class in that British way that you're talking about. You know, he's not really a man of the of the people, but he is who he is. That's how he was raised, and and um, he just is sort of he, he comes from a bourgeois family, and, and that's that's sort of who he is. And um, you know what kept him humble? Go kart racing. What, what's that? <laughs> Go kart racing. That's what kept Sean humble. Getting his ass said? whooped by little kids in five summer stories. Oh, on, on the uh, the, the Malibu Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys have that back there where you were, Malibu Grand Prix? 
What is we, the Malibu? I remember from no. the film, but what's the Malibu Grand Prix? Um, that, so, did, wasn't he? It wasn't a go kart. It was like a for, little mini Formula One, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. They're little. I think they were little electric mini Formula One cars that uh, they were all the rage in the early. I guess throughout the seventies in, in California, probably. Yeah, I guess the whole West Coast, and you wouldn't race people. You would go through the track, and they would time you. So you would come across, and I guess I, I seem to remember. You know, a minute was a good, and every fucking lap was a buck. And I've never done anything that we could, you know, drain, you, you know, we would go as teenagers and it would just, you'd just be, you know, going around after you'd spent your 20 bucks or whatever to get more money. Cause all you want to do is better your, Score. your time, you know, and that's uh, a real dangerous addiction. It sounds yeah. like, yeah. And it was, you know, it was safe. The cars felt like they were going fast. They had incredible pickup. At the How track. do you think really- instinct went under? Sean just splurged. I know we, we talk so much about Michael Thompson, you know, <laughs> know but yeah. actually Sean's the one with the problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's a big thing, you know. What you know, the the big thing is, you know, you said in your in your uh, the joint, you know, the joint was like a year. It was it was a Thanksgiving joint, wasn't yeah. it? And wasn't it like it was all about things you know you're thankful for? And but when you got to the child, and, and you said you know Drew Campion, you're thankful for, and some other things, and uh, and we all are. And um, but when you get to the child phenom part, you said not so much thankful, but quite fascinated. And yeah, like I wonder what's what's so just what keeps Matt Orsha about? up at night thinking about young phenoms, <laughs> and, and not just Matt. Like <laughs> what's so juicy about you know, young, you know, prodigies. I mean, it's so, we love it, you know, don't we? I suppose it's because it's such a, uh, it feels so, it feels so, it's, you're, you're amazed at that kind of talent. You're, you're certainly jealous, but I think there's some part of it too, where you're saying, you know, what are you going to do now? Like, how are you, how are you going to, how are you going to, what are you missing out on by being that person and what is that going to mean for you transitioning, developing as a as a person? And and it just seems like a, such a high wire act, you know. And how many people do uh, are uh, adversely affected by it? Way outnumbers the people like Sean that we're talking about. Um, you know, even and by the way, even that even gets down to like just the super super popular kids at high school who are really good surfers or really good looking and prom kings and for math whizzes and you know i always kind of feel like anybody that's really good at something senior year um it's probably a decent bet that they're gonna you know if things come easy to you or or if you're really good at something super early i think it's almost a hurdle for later on right but you add you know some real fame into that and we can just go right down the list of all the people for whom it looks like at least the fame and the, and the, and the, and the incredible talent tripped them up. Um, so uh, I, I've sort of dribbled off a bit from what, what my point was. <laughs> well, the, the fascination I, I, part. Yeah, what I was yeah. going to say is just even, 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 even people that aren't um, front row famous, it's, it's a hard thing to be really, really good at something. Not a hard thing. It's a, it's a potentially crippling thing to be really good at something at an early age, I think. Well, it depends on the people and what they they're telling you around you too. I think there's a real 
particularly early on, a lot of people have told would tell you, oh, you're talented. You're so talented. If you're a young, young rising surfer and your parents and everyone gives you all those adulations and it did come to you relatively easy when you start to hit the, right. you know, the, the speed bumps, it's about the perseverance and being able to persevere through those right. and still thrive. And, right. you know, and a lot of, a lot of those people didn't, didn't have what it takes or, or, or found ways to self-destruct because they couldn't handle that pressure. You or know, you, particularly if you have all that or, great, if you have that great, you're all competing for like this small number of uh, opportunities. Totally. You know, like even if you do everything right, there's only, there's only a top 44 in surfing. There's right. only 44 people out of all these people who are doing a good job, you know? So, you know, learning how to, learning how to lose and deal with, deal with loss is really important. And, you don't learn that if you're, if you're David Eggers, you know, he never, he, I mean, God. So. so brings us to like the, the, the one that I think is most synonymous, I think as like a, like a pro tour burnout, like I think a phenom burnout, like he's become the poster child right. um, in some ways, rather unfortunately, because he, he did suffer, you know, schizophrenia. Um, yeah. I almost wonder at some, there's some people for whom you, all of these guys that we're talking about, I, I start looking right away for the things that where you want to take them out of the conversation of surfing or, or fame did this to them. And so with David Eggers, you know, really serious mental health things sort of make me want to say, well, this had maybe didn't have anything to do with it was so with Eggers, it was two things, I think that, and I'm, I'm not sure when the, the schizophrenia begins to manifest itself, but he also had really, really overbearing parents who were pushing yeah. him really hard. You know, and, and so that's um, that's that's also that's also crippling. And, and so you go, well, then you go, well, I'm not you can't blame the talent there. You can't blame the, uh, the early fame you might blame or you maybe you can. But you got to throw into that mix uh, parents that were thinking they were doing the right thing, maybe, but maybe being harmful and then throw in uh, the mental health stuff. And, and at, at, at some point, all of a sudden you go, well, this isn't really a fame thing. This is just a whole mix, a whole stew of things, can, you know? Can you, can you give a little background story on Dave Eggers for our listeners, for those who may not be as familiar, just a quick little yeah, overview. Well, in that hot 100 thing I sent you yeah. from 82, I, I think Eggers is in he's there. He's in right? there. Yeah, no, he's, he's in there. So he was like 12. And like, yeah. so this was this article, the hot 100 surfer magazine it was the very first one in 82. And, um, God, Eggers would have been the youngest person in that. I'm sure. Yeah. But at 12, he was already, you know, winning events against men. He was from San Diego, skinny little blonde haired kid with just a ridiculous amount of energy and, um, you know, could out surf anybody, especially in small waves. Um, wasn't a pretty surfer, but was uh, as competitive as as the day was long, and um, had had the right look, and had all the sponsors, and again had what looked to be like this parental support group. His his family would just load load David into a, a mobile home, and they just drove from. Con I mean, he competed nonstop. It's nonstop. Like. You know, it was. It, looking back, it was just, you know, it was awful. I mean, I, I think, I mean, he might've, he probably loved it cause he liked I mean, to win. <laughs> yeah. He loved, yeah. He loved to win, but, uh, but, um, he turned pro too young. He turned pro, I think at 16. And again, you know, 10th grade. And again, you know, slapped the parents 
for letting that happen and slap gotcha for for signing up a 16 year old you know and went and, on the pro tour and had i don't know maybe made a couple of semifinals but uh i don't know what year did he the first rookie year he did okay and then it's like 86 right yeah. and then he did okay then started to drag in 87 and, and then it was off the tour by 88 and it was you know then it was just drugs and uh, yeah. aborted comeback and more drugs and this and then finally there was a the, the diagnosis of schizophrenia and and uh you know he, he was an unhappy uh, you know i think an unhappy adulthood um but again pull you know you, you so you you always eggers is the first name that comes up for the you know the the cautionary tale of of too much too soon and um they're, they're always more complicated than that uh they're all because again it wasn't there's Although there's one that... common theme that you just pointed out there. So if you think of David Eggers, Martin Potter, a guy who started the tour really young. Right. Uh, Nicky Aki. Wood. Nicky Wood. Well, not, but listen, mm. the three I'm mentioning yeah. right oh, okay. there. Okay. All right. So, uh, so David Eggers, Nicky Wood, Martin Potter, and Shane Horan, all four guys who started while they were still teenagers, real teen films, they were all sponsored by Gotcha. Yeah. Oh shit! Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just drawing a tenuous line, obviously, but it, it does make you know, it's it is that thing of like you know, I guess too much too soon. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a uh, how much? I mean, I feel like how much responsibility do the do the the sponsors take, and how you know there has been plenty of surfers all throughout you know the history who've who've you know bombed who were promised. Uh, big careers and taken on trips at a young age and then kind of washed up before they're even 20 almost. And a, a company puts a lot of money and investment in a kid from a young age, which I think is kind of insane. Like, I think it was, um, I think one of the issues actually is 1992, you know, when they allowed professionals into the Olympics and that opened the door also for amateurs to collect checks um, you know, before that Slater used to have to keep money in a separate account that he couldn't touch, uh, until he was of 18 or that use was money. Uh, travel, travel expenses, travel like expenses. they could buy him a car. And yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That. And, and after 92, after the Olympics allowed that to happen, the ISA followed suit. Like you saw how many in the nineties, it seemed like there was just nonstop. This is the next Slater. There was a constant searching right. for Slater. Surfer Magazine brought back the Hot 100 in 94. Um, you know, it just felt like that, like 90s really accelerated the push and the soccer parents for the, you know, of the, like for the young child phenom and prodigy. They I guess like that's the, the fascination, you know, like you're pointing out, there was so much, it, it was interesting. We all loved it, you know, and it's not just in surfing, it's other sport and it's right. in other entertainment and music. We love that combination of like, the freakishness of a young person doing some performing at a level mm -hmm. than a fully grown adult can do. And also the potential, you know, when we talked right. about Pam Burge a couple weeks ago, we thought yeah. first year on tour as a teenager, she finishes second. Oh my God. What is she going to achieve in five years time? Same thing. Nikki Wood when he beat, you know, won the bells contest at 16 or what you said, you know, Caroline Marks second place at 17, you know, like what the, how you just think well if they could do that now all they have to do is go on cruise control and stay on the right. trajectory and they're gonna kill it is also we we as a society i think love we it's common theme in all of our myths 
all of our stories is that chosen one. You know, I mean, freaking Anakin Skywalker. Boy, he's probably the the worst of all the all the prodigies. <laughs> you know, I know how you love Star Wars, Matt. <laughs> It's <laughs> huge. Let's stay with that for a while. I want to talk Star Wars. I'm going to get the most. But you're right. You're right. That's actually like it's, it's a common theme. Jesus, all of them. You know, like they're all like these stories of the potential, the prodigy, searching for Bobby Fisher. I mean, it's all like we, as society, we love to see those those stories. That but remember religious. why? So that movie, I love surfing, searching for Bobby Fisher. Amazing. And the, and what sort of saved that kid, and that was a true story, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it And was. what sort of seemed to save him in the movie, at least, I don't know if this is in tr true, was that he kind of kept that, he kept in touch with the the street guy. Which, yeah, uh, got, so he had- Samuel L. Jackson, right? Exactly. No, was it Lawrence Samuel? Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, it's awful. So, you know, it's like, and also remember the that uh, his parents were really cool. And, and uh, so, I don't know, I, I, I'm more and more thinking that it's like, not a curse to be great or even famous. It, it does demand that the parents and the teachers and whatever the structure is that are, is around the, 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 the talent be especially aware of, of, of what can go wrong. And, and again, the, another great example of to how to make it work was, is Carissa Moore, right? Because, you know, she had, I, I don't think anybody's handled that uh, a transition from being a, a phenom to an adult who seems to be absolutely together and and, uh, and 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 developed and evolved the way the way she has. Is she taking the year off, or didn't she say? Wasn't didn't she say before that she was going to? Or was that Steph? Um, no, she was supposed to, to take the year off, and then the year was off because right. of. Because yeah, of COVID, so she, she's not doing a very good job of taking the year off, is she? Just <laughs> well, but what I'm saying is that her place. having the presence, her, her saying, "Look, I've been doing this. What has she been a pro for eight years or something like that?" Or, yeah, you know, yeah, mean, about more, a little what, more than that, maybe. What a great! And how many world titles does she have? Like, I'm three or yeah, three. So yeah, you know, like what, what are you gonna? What are you, she's not gonna get? Or she, I mean, she'd be. You'd feel bad if she was saying. Oh, my, my goal in life is to beat Lane Beachley seven. Fuck, who cares? Don't, you know, just, you've got three world titles. Like, you know, go take some time off, take some classes, travel, do whatever you want and come back if you want or don't. I thought that was amazing that at the very, at the very height of her surfing, uh, you know, the very height of her career, she would say, I, you know, it's time for me to take some time off. And so good for her she she's handled it really well but she she had a lot of the support her father That's what I'm saying. right you know her father traveled with her for years and and he you know he was i've met him really nice guy i took him surfing here in new york even and but he's he seemed like a little a little intense you know not super intense but he definitely was probably pushing her but probably not as hard or as crazy as some other parents and i think he knew when to ease off the pedal a little bit yeah. but also she has like you know she has a partner who seems like you know help is very supportive of her and and so i think she's been very fortunate and and yeah. i also this is what i think i think the surf industry has matured over right. the last 40 years and they're they're starting to understand over the last i think 15 years they've done a much better job of 
of helping younger athletes and being a bit more responsible for them right. and may, to make sure that they don't go off the end. And you see right. it like, I mean, shoot, remember, you know, Dave Eggers goes on tour at age 16, right? Alone, no parents. Rob Machado in 93, first year, full year on tour, tours with his dad. You, you know, there's already like a little bit of a difference there about how was, they yeah. approach that. I was on the... Um... I was on the North Shore on Eggers' first year with Gotcha, and Gotcha had a house at uh, off the wall. And now the juice comes out. It was, right. you know, whoever the whole team was. I mean, it was Crookshank and Potter and Shane and um, Jericho, I can't remember maybe. who else. But they, you know, it was and it was a. This is Gotcha was big, but I think they were going to get bigger. And I remember the house was. It wasn't. It was big, a big sprawling, you know, off the wall beachfront house, but it didn't feel fancy. And uh, it was, we go visit. I knew I was good friends with Mark Price. And uh, I remember going over there one night, there probably wasn't any surf and everybody was getting kind of rowdy and there was drinking and there was pizza, I suppose. And I left for a while and came back and it was, you know, there would have been a lot more beer drunken and Eggers was just so annoying he was, he was just always running around and like, he was uh, like sort of a really evil sort of little Dennis the Menace type. He was always, and, and you could see he had a big chip on his shoulder, you know, cause uh, he wasn't beating all those guys yet, you know? And, and um, he had a lot of, there was a lot of weird energy coming off him. And so what I'm about to say sounds horrible, but I, I kind of, I almost kind of got it at the time. So he was bothering everybody, bothering just, and he was trying to prank him and everything. And finally, the whole gotcha team, all these older guys, David was whatever he was, 16 or 17, they ran down the beach and they grabbed him and they just they they duct they duct taped him into like a you know, like a mummy, basically, and just left him there, you know. And oh my God. And it was horrific. Like, you know, it was really, really serious, like like Grammy abuse and imagine uh, that happening today. <laughs> they did it. And, and then they did it until he was, you know, he's crying and stuff, you know, and then they turned him loose. And, uh, and uh, I remember I interviewed him about three, two, two or three years later after he'd gone away and was trying to make his first comeback. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me about the, he, he, and he, he went home, like he went home like two weeks later. And that was when he, went back to San Diego and he quit the tour and he went right into uh, what, God, what was he was doing crack or something. So free basing. Cause free you, you, he was that article, right and, Yeah. I remember you wrote that in right. surfer and he had the long hair and Skip right. Moschetti yeah. was this guy. The who manager. Was Skip Skip yeah. anyway, was straight was, out of WWF. It felt Eggers like. Eggers was scary. Machete was scary, but, but uh, Eggers did tell me the story that, and like as much as like I, Eggers kind of gave me the creeps. Um, but, the story of what these guys had done to him also was gave me the creeps, you know, I mean, he had been, and there was like, there was just no, there were no grownups around, you know? So yeah. it was like the guys that were abusing him were all in their teens and early twenties. I mean, you know, the oldest person there, I don't, you know, I don't even think Michael was around and you know, not that Michael Thompson would have been the, <laughs> you know, there was no adult, you know, zero, nothing. And, and so, you know, when David came home, he, he, they just, I think he said this, he goes, they just broke me. They just broke me, you know, and, and, and if you were on the, on the, you know, in the house, you could say this kid needs to be put in his place. That was what everyone needs to be put in his place. So it, 
it seemed, but you know, on the other hand, it was a just a horrible thing to do to a to a kid. You know? So um, I don't know. You know, I, I can't remember what that. But that, yeah, you know, that would. But it happen. is a recipe for disaster to be right. so it was a traveling 16... around against the people you're competing against, right. who are a few years older than you, who aren't who, actually who are also real on adults your on your team, and everyone within that within the team is kind of vying for right. I mean, you're competing against them on the tour, but also for the favor of of michael and and you know just to, to be the you, you want to make sure that on the hierarchy at gotcha that you're doing you're justifying your yeah it's not a team where you work you know? together it's a team where you're yeah, yeah. Right, right and then you know just to get back to kevin the, the head brennan who I, I you know obviously i i never met i only know through i did a did you guys read the i did that the oral history thing yeah read all of them. them right so that's about all so i know fascinating. that's all about all i know and 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 there that was a that was a um there were some really tough things in there that, that weren't pushed very far to the front. It was just one, it was just, but there was one line that said um, something like dad left early, mom drank, the boyfriends monstered him. You know, so I got like, it right here. Dad shot through early, mom drank, her boyfriends monstered the boy and with his homemade haircut, busted teeth and appetite for danger. He was the archetypal delinquent for whom the Bondi surf was both babysitter and battlefield. Right, Australian exactly. surf culture took through these tough kids locked out of home. Right. That's so, so again, like Kevin Brennan, I think was probably a, a little bit like Eggers in that, in that I don't think he was a nice person to be around, you know, before the fame or after the fame, he was a thief. He was, uh, I think probably a bully. I had people email me after that joint came out saying, and I didn't mean to like, it, it, it's such a fine line. You want to say, I, I don't want to say that this was, he was this cute kid that got, uh, that, that it was done in by drugs as if, as if drugs came by and dropped, you know, did a drive by on him. You know, he was a, he was a damaged, really damaged kid from probably before he picked up a, a board from being poor, from having a, you know, from his home, his home life, um, from being probably himself grommet abused down at, 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 uh, at Bondi, you know, but, but, yeah. uh, um, so, Tied you know, he seems like a kid who likely for whom the fame may not have ha had too much effect on his, uh, on his, on his trajectory. I mean, um, I don't know. Every one of these things seems to me, it's like, it's, it's difficult almost to say anything, uh, general, except, except that if you have a kid who's super gifted and, and, and talented and, and famous that, you've raised the possibility that there's going to be danger ahead. So be, you know, be careful, parents, sponsors, organizations, you know, be careful, everybody. But and it's a tricky one. If you are one of those adults involved in there, right. because if you see a child who's really enthusiastic and engrossed in something, right. you, you don't want to stop them. Right. Like, although like uh, Jimmy Connors once said that his parents uh, technique was like, to like say okay practice is over and be like well i'm just get just getting going no 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 you have to go yeah. do your other things and it made him like super hungry for it rather than burn out on it now i go right. not sure if jimmy connor's is a good example he's apparently the biggest asshole and everyone on tour hated him <laughs> so but he had a long and sustained career <laughs> true and true he, true he did yeah, just yeah. not a well-liked one yeah <laughs> but yeah it's so tricky like what to do in that situation if your child um 
uh, you know, actually, it's funny, like just early this evening, by coincidence, Bonnie, my daughter and I, we were watching a, an old clip of a, well, not an old clip, but a, a, a James Corden, <laughs> you know, carpool karaoke <laughs> that he did with Billie Eilish. And then, it, you know, they talked to, met her family and then like, and I read a bit more about her afterwards. And she was saying, you know, like her and her brother were really into writing music and they did want to get big. But when they were, when she was 13, you know, she wrote this song for yeah. her choreographer from from just for like her dance lessons and she put it on soundcloud it just boom and right. like the parents like what do you do in a situation like that <laughs> if your child just blows up and right well that that's today's problem you know it's like the kids can blow up so much faster i mean just filled with gunpowder and stuff and yeah and that's in surfing as well because you can <laughs> um yeah, you can post stuff, but it's it is a tough one for the adults involved because a lot yeah. of times we talk about the pushy parents, but then there's also the parents who who weren't expecting this, you know, and they see their child really into it, and what right. do you do? Do you yeah pull the reins on them? Yeah, yeah. And and one other thing, just the, before what you were saying before Tyler and, and Matt, like with managing expectations, you know, I have a friend who's who had a, a sibling who was a bit of a prodigy in, in their given sport and they were really good and their parents got behind it, put them in a special school for their talent, um, you know, kind of moved house, supported them every step of the way. And then the child hit adulthood and they just couldn't qualify for you know the Olympics. And just because they didn't do anything wrong, it's just because it's such a minimal amount of people who do succeed. And the child ended up becoming really upset with their parents because they said, you didn't prepare me for this right. my whole life. I thought that's what I was going to do when I grew up. And now I'm like, what's what am I going to do? You know, I right. have to get a regular job. No answers. I don't I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm just stumped. I, my wife and I have long said, and I think because it fits sort of the two of us so well, is that the real sweet spot is to be a level or two, you know, just to be bright, is to be sort of good at what you do, but to be a couple of levels below. So you're never not thinking I've got to sort of work at it or I've got to keep my options open. I mean, this is sort of what, getting back to what I was saying before about even kids who are the stars in, in high school. Um, um, it's a, it can be a stumbling block. Um, well, it's, yeah, I mean, the thing is, and like, what do you, what do you think about homeschool? Like, do you, do you guys, I mean, like I, I'm, I mean, kids are super, homeschooled super now, I guess. It. Right. Uh, <laughs> you got to ask me that question. And I have a, I have a, that's a loaded question for well, me to ask. That good. Question. All right, let's go. <laughs> well, keep going, but keep going. Yeah. I was just saying like, I feel like a lot of parents uh, in the past for surfing, take their kids out of school. They, 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 homeschool them whatever that freaking means you know and now you always hear like oh i do my homework i have a 3.5 gpa and i'm like but does that does that real are you do you really have a 3.5 gpa like if you were in a classroom would you be achieving the same grades i i don't yeah, know like it did it feels so feels like bullshit to me a lot yeah of the it's not just the grade stuff, part of it know. it's also just getting used to being in groups of people that aren't like you know that where you're not you, you know you you the whole thing at the schoolyard because teddy's yeah. school is two two blocks from me and this year of course we didn't go but it's a great little school and um just a public school but um just 
watching how they all develop. He's been there for six years because this is his last year. You know, just watching them all figure shit out on a schoolyard. Yeah. Hundreds of them, not not you and your brother in the in the in the dining room with you know with with your tutor or whatever or or, or well, other even for pro that matter, on the Indies Trader. You know, right? Or even for that matter, you know, get, getting put into a you know a school a a, a special you know a, an advanced school. I we've been advised sort of against that as well because I think that the kid, you know, you should be with people that are smarter than you and, and, and people that are tougher than you. And you want to be with the bullies and you want to be around the sensitive kids and you want to be around everybody. Um, figure out, figure out your place in it and how to navigate all that stuff. I guess that's the thing. Everybody's situation is a little different. Like Slater is a perfect example who went to a regular, you know, public school. Although Matt, little stump question for you. What does public school mean in England? <laughs> I mean, private school. <laughs> right. There we go. Right. Okay. Good. The flash and yeah, yeah. man has uh, helped. Okay. <laughs> um, but what are the private schools called then? The the private schools are called public schools. You mean sorry, what are sorry, the public? The yeah, state schools. State okay. Schools. All right. Yeah. State yep. school. And <laughs> <laughs> if you're public school, you there's all sorts of weird kind of things that go along with public schools here. But anyway. Yeah, like Slater went to a public school and he's as successful as you want to get. And he's a person who connects with lots of different people, doesn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, but you then, can say a lot about Kelly, but he's he is he can talk to anybody. And that, that some of that has to come, you know, comes down to, I think, that he grew up around regular around regular people a lot. Of yeah. Them. And if you want to hear a really good uh, poetic expression of how he gets on with people, if you listen to the latest Ain't That Swell, they do a great vignette on how kelly can get along with anybody it just you know it's i'm not gonna do just whether if he wants to get along with them that's yeah no but they but they do point out yeah oh he's anyway but then like you know like joel tudor was homeschooled and and he i remember him being interviewed and him saying that his school was he just really hated his school and you know like and that's the thing i guess it's and i know people you know who if you're in a certain school or if you're in a different class, you know, like in my school where I teach, there's, you know, four classes in each grade in each year. And um, each class has a different vibe to it. And it's, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's hard to apply it to everybody, but yeah, I mean, right. as a rule, yeah, I'm definitely for not, not homeschooling, I suppose. Yeah. I'm with you. That's too. It's, it's also like, I, I feel like there's something weird about just like taking little kids on just nonstop surf trips where they're not going to school. It's, I just think it's like, may not be the best thing for them. One, they, I think they might take surfing for granted. Um, if you don't have to work for it at all and it's just given to you and you're like, well, you're going on this trip to Waco, you're going here. I mean, it's like, dude, when they get older, are they going to appreciate that stuff? Are they going to really, really, utilize it and then like you said like the the big thing is like what happens if surfing doesn't work out oh just get a job as a rep right and that's why the surf industry is in such a shit state because it's made up of a bunch of former pro surfers who didn't go to college and <laughs> ever studied anything maybe you know the guy i spent my day today uh working on and i'll it'll still be out in a week or two and maybe yeah. we'll do we'll talk about it is a I don't know if he was a friend of Bobby Brown's, but he was associated with him because of Hot Generation. But I mean, I'm sorry, a friend of There's Kevin Brennan. Right. Oh, Bobby oh, Brown was also a phenom, right? Yeah. And, and I think, and, and the interesting thing there, and, and it, 
there shouldn't be this parallel in the of their of their tragedies because Bobby Brown got got glassed at a bar when yeah. he was 20 and died, you know, and it seems it, that was really fluky where Kevin Brennan wasn't his fault. Really, Kevin Brennan ODing of you know, nobody, every minute, nobody was surprised by that happening. Whereas Bobby Brown, everyone just, she was the shock thing of, of the decade in, in surf. Um, but Bobby Brown, when he was, uh, um, I think a 17 year old finalist in the world titles, like the youngest guy in the, in the, in the finals. And he was, um, a, an apprentice carpenter, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he's on record saying, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm an apprentice carpenter. I work with my dad and uh, I'm going to, I'll keep doing that until I've finished my, whatever, I don't know. I, I, you know, I think an apprenticeship back then was sort of an official thing, like a two or three year stint or something. And then after I'm done with that, I'll go see the world, you know? So again, whether that's Bobby just being a sensible person or his parents or somebody saying him to him, look, carry on, you're doing great, surf as much as you can, surf before work, after work, but keep up with this this trade, you know, because again, there wasn't a professional surfing thing to fall back on. And so I think I think before before he died, I think he'd actually become uh, a shaper. So he was making boards, but you know, he still, he had his own, he always had this idea, I think that he, that he, he was sensible enough, I think to, uh, to, to not fall into this is who I am, what I am. I'm a surf star, and and uh, I always will be, or something like that. And I, I just learned this about Bobby Brown this week that he, you know, throughout the two or three years where he, we was he was sort of on the on the center stage, he was doing an apprenticeship to be a carpenter. Wow. So you're saying that like having keeping things in perspective <laughs> just helps you kind of. It's a really healthy thing basically sure yeah. sure even if you expect that at the end of that you're going to pursue surfing full on well at least you've for one thing you've stuck with something that isn't the thing that you want to do every day i mean david eggers never didn't surf even when he was in school and um i don't think you know kevin brennan was delinquent from whenever he you know he was just so you don't get to do what you want to do every day you know you surf yeah, before yeah. then you go to the job site as bobby did and, and like what you were saying tyler with appreciating it you know if you think right, that right a real alternative a real a real reality is possibly being that or like tom right. carroll you right. know yeah. was doing his apprenticeship as a, a panel beater you know right right and kelly slater even though he always did expect that i think he's always appreciated being a pro surf remember once in an early interview he said I've bit the bullet. This is what I'm doing. You know, other surfers might consider going the free surfer route, but no, I'm, this is me. And he's just right. accepted it. And that helps probably. Yeah. I mean, you look at like, let's look, let's look at Kalani Rob, who is a, you know, uh, what he was, he was, uh, you know, top 100. He was, uh, you know, won the world amateurs, went on tour fairly young, you know, by, you know, he was on tour about like what, 96, I think was uh, maybe the 95, 96 was his first year uh, on tour. And then, um, you know, by like 2000, I was reading articles about how burnt out he was, how over the tour he was, how frustrated he was with it. Then like, he ended up having to get a job, you know, a real job uh, when he finally, you know, wasn't able to get a sponsorship anymore. 
uh, Fox went out and and then Hurley dropped him and you know and then he had to get a real job and he was just seemed pretty bummed about it and he's come back and he's now like a professional surfer for catch surf and you know he's doing wave pools and all that sort of stuff which is great but it's like he was on tour and, and even I've read articles where now he's like oh I wish I wasn't so down on it when I was there and I yeah, feel like that, there's a lot of that. I think, you know, if you grow up with all of it given to you and you're going to trips and everything and then you're on tour and you, know, you really don't appreciate it. But it's oh. so hard. And that's the thing yeah. with, with Kalani Rob, like he didn't have a very stable home life at all. Right. Parents were and that's the thing, you know, like teaching when you see hundreds of kids in your career, you just you can it's like that thing, you know, and, you know, they're, they're saying they say, show me the kid. I'll tell you the man is show me the parents right, and their right, situation right. and what they're like and their and that just changes you know your home life has so much to do with it and it's that's the thing it's it's there's a lot of free will obviously but there's still it's 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 tough you know and a lot of times people who get supremely good at something or like you said matt you know they're, they're very unusual there's something almost wrong with them that they right. got so good at what they are right, right. that it is going to go off in every direction and that's probably what's so fascinating for us i mean we do yeah. love a potential uh train wreck don't we you know yeah, right. I, speaking of family i have yeah. to go uh meet jody and teddy so boys All i'm right. gonna let you stump your Wait, stump i thought each they other. went you guys skiing. gonna stump each other I thought well, they no, were no, skiing. No, no, I know they're they're driving back home right now. That was Jody on the phone, so I'm uh, going to get the house ready. Your, I, I got to yeah. <laughs> Matt, thanks for joining us, and uh, happy New Year. You too. Let's do this again soon. I hope. <laughs> oh, and also remember, Matt, that the English words can usually score higher in Scrabble because they have an extra S or a U for color or something like that. <laughs> Send me your list of two-letter words using the letter U. That's what two I need. Two-letter so. words. Two-letter is Here's one. X-U. Okay. That's a word. <laughs> Zoo. Oh, Zoo. 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 Was U R is good. And yeah, U S up. Yep. Anyway, yeah. those are those are gold. P the two-letter ones. Okay. All right. Take well, care, you guys. Luck. All right. See you, Matt. Bye. Bye. Later, Matt. Later, Matt. <laughs> See how long it takes me to turn this thing off. Okay. Yeah. There we go. See ya. Bye. Bye. Oh, that was fun. So that was fun. That was lovely. See, it's always nice to spend time with a, a child phenom, a real live one. I know. Right? Matt Warshaw in the top 100 right there. Yeah. Um, oh, God. And actually, I mean, what we didn't talk about, what we don't need to is, I mean, he's was close friends with a, a very big child phenom. Which one now? A few. <sighs> Dennis okay. Jarvis. It, oh, well, I mean. Who? All right. Well, if you want to talk Jay Adams. Okay, I mean, okay. That's yeah. not my stump. That yeah, won't be I thought my you stump were talking then. about surfing. That was going to be a spontaneous stump right there. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, what, some... he... What's oh, it? I was going to say, he should... I was going to ask if he... That article that he did on David Eggers, he should put that on his... On his he uh, totally website. should. That, that was, was a great one. It was really good. I'm, I'm going to name some names of, of some phenoms. I want to get your thoughts on them. You know, or, or where where they are, because it's a I, I put I've compiled a lot of lists. Now, Tyler, like <laughs> yeah. uh, you could like maybe sing or do some shout outs. I've desperately got to pee right now. All right. Well, in that time, keep it running if you want to just break. sing a song or everything. <laughs> Wait, it's, I'm trying to think. Is there a, a two letter U word? No. Okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Go pee. <laughs> Did you align to the bathroom? 
I'm going to read a list of names of phenoms. Just want to get your initial reactions, thoughts on some of these. I've, I've put together a bunch of them. Um, Matt Archibald, do you think he fulfilled his, the prophecy or, or fulfilled some of, his, of the expectations? It, it's funny because I think he probably benefited us more than he benefited himself because you know, like people said, you know, Matt Warshaw said in a profile in him and uh, Damien Hardman of all people yeah. said this, that he was like in the top two most talented people in the world, you know, at the time it was him and Curran, you know, and I mean, you know, we could, we, we could, you know, obviously throw Aki and yeah. Carolyn Potter, but <laughs> so he was at that level. And despite his, his image, he did enjoy competing or he was into contests and he, he actually, you know, he did well in some of them and he was successful as an amateur. But um, so, yeah, he I don't know what he thinks, but he might have be there might be a part of him which thinks, you know, oh, he could have been the top five surfer. Definitely. Um, however, for us, I think we have a more interesting per character to read about, to watch films about, to, to well, his influence is, is you can't deny that his influence yeah. on surfing, he made his mark and, and um, you know, and he did it for a long time. It wasn't uh, a flash in a pan. He had, you know, sustained a pro career for over, you know, 15, 20 years, basically. I mean, still technically even you can consider him a pro. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think Matt, Matt Archibald totally, you know, fulfilled he he may not have lived up to the competitive success, but he made him he made his mark. And oh, he, and 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 the thing is, like, yeah, I mean, he he probably maybe had more influence. Yeah, off the he, tour. If if he had become a success competitively, maybe he wouldn't have been as influential as being the 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 Keith Richards of surfing, as they once called him. You know, totally. And that's the great thing about surfing is it allows you to um, make your mark in different ways. You, know, you could do it in an artistic way. Absolutely. And when that's, I wanted to, I did want to ask you yeah. about this, like, cause you know, when you think about like the, the free surfers who are yeah. like superstars throughout your, you know, you, you one, you know, throughout history. Yeah. Um, you know, like Matt Archibald, uh, Dave Rastovich, uh, Donovan, right now, Donovan, Frankenfutter. Franken yes. And right now you have, you know, someone like Torin Martin, you know, yeah. something like that. But I feel like all of them, bar none, had a competitive career at some point. Most of them had a track record. Uh, you know, at some point there they were on the blip. There, there are some exceptions. You know, Ooh. like well, Dion Agius. I mean, he he wouldn't. No, he was competitive. What's he, he other boogie board competitive? That he, he was, was a, he but was also the, the the first time I read about him, it was in. Uh, you know, maybe surfing life. I know it was an Australian magazine and they took like the top, like Australian comp teen competitors mm. and he was in it. Ozzy Wright was in it, but also like the, you know, maybe, maybe Joel Parkinson and them, but they were competitors. Like it's true. It, I, I'm wondering, like, do you have to, do you have to be into competition to reach that level first? I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, trying to think of someone who who doesn't have a competitive record from from a young age and then came and just came out of nowhere. I mean, Aki maybe, even though he did no, some competitions. No, but he, he became a, on, a world champion. Like he no, I know, but he wasn't on the radar before. Apparently, reading reading certain articles, you know, it was just like out of nowhere uh but if you i yeah i know rabbit said that yeah. as well but then if yeah. you read the tim baker article yeah. uh book which actually has the stats no he was quite he successful was. yeah there's um, there they've all put in time in the competitive arena there's not i i don't know of many or anyone post pro tour uh you know starting that or, you know, that didn't have a competitive record. I know it's like you because you want to, you know, when we talk about surfing as art, you want to see that there's a, a path that someone can take to greatness without ever having to put a singlet on. But I mean, Jared I think, Mel, Alex Nost, I mean, they compete on that. They compete in longboard content, duct tape stuff and everything. Like Oscar that. Langburn. He's a young, young fiance. I don't know if he competes or not, but he gets really good video clips. And I think now, oh, yeah, I think now is actually the time where you could not compete and just do video clips and just, you could blow up. What about like Kalia Moniz? Does, does she have a competitive yeah, record? Yeah. Oh, uh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, I mean, her okay, dad, uh, look who her dad is. No, I know her dad, yeah. but I'm wondering like, because she's yeah. really big and uh, well, she was a WSL longboard champion. Oh God! Yeah, I didn't do my homework. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so like, Cassia Meadow, did she compete a lot? I mean, I'm sure she did at a young age. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Uh, maybe you know? if you have, to, if you want to get really good at something, you're competitive. That's maybe how you get that good. Well, I think at a young age in surfing, that's what you do to meet other young surfers, and it's what other kids do, and so you just do it probably because you want to surf with your friends and and whatnot, and maybe. And you don't know if you like competition. You're trying it out. And maybe you, you are successful, but maybe you don't enjoy it like Rasta, you know? So, I mean. And also artists and musicians and dancers, they compete as well, actually. That's true. I mean, yeah. uh, I've seen the, the, art, the reality art, art competition TV show where my buddy Richard <laughs> Phillips was a judge. Oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah. Um, okay, here's another. Okay, thing. who else? Nikki Wood, Superflotte. Of course not. Oh, although it's so this is the real obviously he didn't fulfill uh, his expectations, but and I know so he has, you know, gone on record as saying, you know, he smoked way too much pot and he drank a lot and he, you know, self-destructed in a lot of ways. But his body gave out. Is it just the body? Like, I mean, I I know you can't unpick the two, but could he have so, so like I was going to say, I was I was thinking like, you know, in a sliding doors thing, which we've talked about before, yeah. like to me, I feel like, you know, as fans, we were kind of and this is very selfish. Yeah. But to say that we were gypped of a and, and it's a bit wrong, but we were gypped of like a dream top five in the 90s. Like Go, we had name the names, name the names here. OK, first this of all, I just want to say I am not. I mean, Shane Besh and Rob Machado. All those, the got the momentum people were amazing, and but and also Sonny Garcia and Marco Galupo who won their titles after the nineties, yeah. like were or Mark at the end. But 
Do you want to try and guess who I'm thinking? I know exactly. I I think right. Jason Buttonshaw, Nikki Wood, Kelly Slater. Um, you know, Dave Eggers should have been up there. Uh, the fifth one is the obvious one. Oh, I'm just putting the pressure on you. Shane Herring? No. Yeah, I- Shane Herring is the one. Yeah. the fifth, yeah. So, I mean, that... That would have been the super group, you know? That's they- what I expected was going to be our top five in they our were, team. They, yeah. they were supposed to replace Damian Hardman, uh, you know, Tom oh. Carroll, Martin Potter, you know, Tom oh, Wait, Curry, okay, well, who's uh, your top five of the 80s? Who's your top five of the 80s? Top five. Top like five? The, 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 the tippity top of this super talented... as. Who do you think were like the five gods? You can't go above five. Curran, Carol, Aki, Potter. Um, this is the this is the this, this last, the last one, one is the last one's the hard one. That's the disputable one. Yes, you're totally the four you mentioned. I mean, I, it would have to be Hardman. You know, I mean that was the big boys club. I mean, there's probably I'm leaving some people out. I know this. So but- you th- okay? That was the big boys club, basically. A Derek Hine listed, you know, and Martin Potter was the bouncer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I still, I mean, I mean, nothing. I mean, Damien Hardman has the record. Yeah. And also, I agree with what Matt once wrote in that Damien Hardman gets, he doesn't get the credit for being as good a surfer as he actually was. Seven events, one year. Oh, uh, only- that's the record. But would yeah, you just current- watch him free surfing? Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, Matt said he's like an iPhone, you know, he's just perfect, you know, just perfect, you know, not nothing crazy, just perfect and powerful and smooth. You just, you just want to take him out of a box, don't you? <laughs> but I don't think he's in that group as far as talent goes. Okay. Well, who, do you, um, who, who would you put? I think the number five one. And again, like, again, Barton Lynch, as far as the record, would be up there. And mm-hmm. Barton Lynch, actually, when you watch him surf, he's amazing. You know, like, yeah. how do you get still, that vertical? You know, Still amazing. Still amazing. Wow, longevity. Yeah. But I think Kong. Kong. Yeah. yeah. As far yeah. as talent. And I know he's, he's, he's probably like a few degrees below the other four. Like, because he's not quite as smooth in the small stuff as they are. Like, they're seamless, all those four. Yeah. But But when it gets meaty, I mean, dude, that recovery that he did at Sunset where he grabbed his leash to pull him back up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just watching that the other... I was just watching that this afternoon, actually. The old Surfer Magazine episode on the Triple Crown, and they do the profile on Gary Elkerton. And, like, I was just watching. That was insane. He almost fell backwards. Tugs on his leash and it pulls him back up. It was the weird. I mean, that's thing. the original drop the wallet. Yeah, know, like <laughs> pick it back up and stick it in your pocket. Kong Kong would have been a phenom too. He was someone who who had some prodigal. He had, he was a bit of a prodigy as well, and he was. I mean, God, he didn't go pro because he wanted to win that world amateur contest that he yeah. ended up not being able to go to. You know, so I mean. No, uh, no, he, no, he went. No, he went. At but he didn't win. He just, but he no, didn't win. Yeah. You know, he didn't. He was like trying to cap his amateur career with that, and he couldn't. But he was someone who did fulfill a lot of expectations. Totally. Oh well, yeah. And who? Oh, his, this is a pre-stump. Yeah. Which uh, surf industry captain of industry did he intimidate 
and scare the shit out of at that contest. And like he approached him in a restaurant that later that night or something like that and like scared him, but they ended up getting on well. Oh, <laughs> God. It was not Bruce Raymond, which. No, a younger, much younger. younger. I, I forgot. I'm sorry. Richard Woolcott. <laughs> like, if you read Kong's yes. autobiography, it's just so gold. Good. It's, it's so amazing. Gold. It's so good. Uh, that 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 is one of the most enjoyable books I've read in a while, actually. That just... is a, a autobiography fulfilled expectation. Kong, there. by the way, for all the listeners, read the Gary Elkerton autobiography. Totally worth it. It's insane. It's, it is. The stories you can't make up. I mean... It's crazy. Uh, okay, here's and, and also one. One, yeah. one tip, yeah. like a reading companion advice. So I think you got to read up to chapter, I don't know, 14 before going out at night. But don't <laughs> go past that. And then the next day, <laughs> when you want to recover from your hangover, then go on to the next few chapters <laughs> and it'll sober you right up. But you got to <laughs> separate them. I feel like, you know, who is it? You told me uh, Ian Cairns had the two book. Yeah. I think. Kongs should have come with two books or maybe even like a, a hard dividing, like separate cover in the middle to say, okay, guys, that, that was fun. That was the fun the, part. The Kong chapter. Are you ready to over. grow up now? Are you get yes? Are you ready the to Kong chapter's now? over? My name's Gary. And if you want to address me, my name's Gary. Name like Gary. that was that was great when he yelled at everyone at uh, the sunset comp and they were all chanting, Kong, Kong. And he's like, My name's not Kong, it's Gary. <laughs> uh jason buttonshaw man this oh. was i mean he was in all the billabong movies getting pitted looking so good and then just like there's no i have yet to find a story or or anything on why he didn't really fulfill his prophecy no i wanted in fact i wanted to ask matt about i mean maybe we should try and call him back up because he <laughs> I mean, he he must know about him. He was he narrated Surfing to Summer. That's true. And and Jason Buttonshaw was yeah he was one like you said before he was one of those five people who were supposed to be everything, and um, and and right now if you go onto the EOS website if you go it's online it's on it's hard to find stuff about him. I know he he broke an ankle or something in a contest. Yeah. And I also, I heard that he did, I've read in my searches, I found some like comment threads where people talked about him getting really drinking a lot, but that's nothing. I don't know. That's not a big deal for Australians, apparently. (laughs) Um, So it's not to be, it's not a surprise, but I, I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like he is also someone who maybe suffered from the growth spurt problem that Maybe. Nikki Woods he was saw. very small yeah he, he was, was very small. small and then he got really tall and there's Did footage he? of him in some of the Sarge's movies and it and it's it just his style looked it didn't it didn't fit his body you know it looked like oh. and loose and like uh it just didn't look like young butto you know like it was all together I would argue that part of it is also of the way they surfed. Buttonshaw, um, you know, uh, Nicky Wood, their style was not 
the prettiest for the most part. Buttonshaw had beautiful tube style, but overall, like their turns, their technique was very, very blue collar looking, I would say. Not as finessed, not as smooth. And Slate, and then also it lacked a lot of skate influence. Whereas you saw Slater come along, his surfing had some skate influence. He was going for airs. There were pictures of him doing airs. Um, and then you had the other momentum generation where it was just, there was something about their style. If you were to compare it to Nicky Wood or Jason Buttonshaw, it looked different. It looks of a different era almost. And I wonder if that had something to do with it too. Um, just the currentification of surf style, maybe we could call it. Mm. It's yeah. I mean, uh, Nicky Wood, Nicky Wood was very smooth though. And um... it was smooth, but not, uh, not pretty, you know, mm. Not ugly, yeah. but not no, but pretty. not as yeah. Like Slater, like was super coordinated and like just you know, yeah, compact, compact almost. Like it what you watch Nikki Wood or Jason Buttonshaw, you see footage. Their arms are in lots of places, whereas Slater, there's like this form to the, to the turn. I don't know. It was. It's, I think Matt George said he's like like Sean Thompson, that type of just super like just like makes sense logical uh brad gerlach would probably like his star you know say his style was like perfect technique or something like exactly that. Yeah. exactly yeah uh, yeah okay and then you know there were women surfers too you know i mean pam burge would be one yeah who did it? i was trying i feel okay so this is it like all of the um teen phenomenons of women surfers that i that i could think about they they did go on to success and obviously we're looking at caroline marks now she's still only 18 but yeah uh but like so pam burge did go on to success margot godfrey came back and went on to success yeah lisa anderson who shouldn't have succeeded went succeeded. on to success and i was wondering and okay maybe you'll prove me with some examples that prove me wrong but i was wondering if ah. Uh, if perhaps because they didn't get the media attention, there was less pressure. That's a really, I, I don't know if that's very naive or ignorant of me to say that, but. I think part of it is um, probably more to do with the lack of support from the pro tour, the circuit and everything. Anyone coming, coming, coming on tour in the eighties, like it wasn't, you know, there was no, like, if they didn't succeed, one, we may not have heard about them because it wasn't mentioned mm. in the magazines. Like, mm. nothing was talked about. In, True, yeah. These, these women weren't talked about as young phenoms all that much either. You know, it's really, I feel like maybe the Smith sisters were were, were kind of touted a little bit as, as kind of up and coming. Kim Merrick would have been but there wasn't a lot of emphasis on them. So maybe, yeah, maybe that pressure wasn't there. Maybe the expectation wasn't there. Maybe our knowledge and awareness of, of them wasn't there to, to place on them. Um, but there were, you know, there are some women surfers who, who did not fulfill. There were that had the promise, like Melanie Bartels is one who mm -hmm. um, had made the tour a couple times, but, um, you know, just never full, fulfilled the the praise that that i know she was given yeah, that's true and i was thinking about nia post as well was absolutely was you know, featured a lot in the 80s and i thought that she was going to be like a, a champion absolutely you know and then like you know and then you 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 know you 
Corey Schumacher would be the other one, actually. She was like the number one, Lissa's number one on the top 194, you know, for women surfers. And she ended up fulfilling it, becoming a women's world, you know, multiple women's women's longboard world champion, mm. also became a politician, but turned away from the industry and surfing in general because it wasn't going to be accepting of, it wasn't accepting of her at that time. And also just, yeah, politics and a lot of other things. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I was looking for lots of female surfers seeing what, what the history was there. And it's it just, it's kind of unfortunate that it is a little blank and there's not a whole lot uh, to explore. It makes it really difficult. Another one was uh, Tita Tavares. She fulfilled it. She was mm -hmm. in the top 100. Jessica Earl, I remember, she was from St. Augustine. Her brother, Jason Earl, I used to surf with all the time down there. And, uh, and that was another one that didn't fulfill. Amy Cobb was a few. And there was, there were like some women who- Oh, were, um, who Johnson. Um, it was actually, I uh, forgot what if, uh, I have read about her recently. Um, she was- Davy Johnson, the New York Mets manager, um, his daughter Johnson was also supposed to succeed, and and her brother was um, Billy Jack Johnson, also top shaper. Oh, as well. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. Oh, there was one person, not a woman though, who I wanted mm -hmm. to ask about. Yeah. Who I haven't, so in one of those articles, like in the early 90s or late 80s, that talking about like up and comers, and you mentioned uh, Colin Wexgill, I think. Wexgill, yeah. And he passed there was, away um, recently. Yeah, I know, I know. And um, it, it mentioned other people. It mentioned uh, Corey Lopez was in it. And, um, uh, you know, the guy who was on the search, the real cheeky one. Uh, Gary Green? Chris no, Davidson. Chris Davidson was Davo. in it. But... Uh, Craig Etchegoyan was mentioned yeah. as the top one and Quixel was pouring all their money into him. Uh, Tom Carroll was like taking him on a lot of trips. And after that article, I never heard from him again. And they were saying he was the one who was predicted to go all the way. And I've gone online. I can't find his name anywhere. I can't. find. I looked also. I couldn't find anything either. Oh my God. Maybe, maybe his parents were like, Nah, you're not being a pro surfer. <laughs> you go into business know. school. I don't know. It's well, that's yeah. the other thing is, is that actually, you know, like when you're growing up, you change so much and you might be really into surfing when you're 12, 13, 14, and then you hit 16, you're like, uh, I'm into badminton now or, yeah. or something else. Like, how do you, you're not the same. You go through so many changes as a person. Like it's a bit weird to choose your, like we didn't choose our careers when we were that age, you know, like. No, no, but it, like, I mean, like some countries do that where they have you choose or you start down a path at an early age. But I mean, yeah, it I, yeah. <laughs> it does. And uh, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, he was um, someone that, had to choose between baseball and surfing and chose baseball. We always hear the other story of like, oh, well, I was supposed to do soccer and surfing and I chose mm. surfing. Dumbass should have chose soccer, make more money. <laughs> yeah. Do you think like in, in baseball magazines, they talk about Butch Van Artsdale and as the, you know, the guy who should have, you know, made it and he now a failure, became a drunken surfer or something. Like that. <laughs> but I, I mean, I find I'm 
I was creating the list for the show of like different, you know, phenoms for different generations. Right. Mm. And, and like, I feel like obviously as we go on, the list gets longer and longer, you know, each generation, there's just more people to mine. Um, but it, it also feels like there are less tragic stories, um, you know, of like, the real high-end Fiam. I'm not talking about just like everyone trying to be a pro, but like the yeah. ones that were, had the heap of praise on them. You look at like John John. I mean, gosh, like he's the Slater of this generation, you know? He's, yeah, he's the chosen the... one, I think, of this generation. And he's handled it beautifully. Um, yeah, I didn't. I remember thinking like he's not going to be. Or, I mean, he's just this blonde cute kid who takes off on at pipeline but he'll just be i didn't realize he was going to turn into who he turned into yeah. no um how about the one like taj burrow someone who you could say fulfilled it but never won a world title yeah. uh, i mean that's like that's one i find really interesting you know like five runner-ups i think it was oh, that's not man that <laughs> runner-up thing just I don't think anybody, any of those guys want us to talk about it anymore. <laughs> like, not another podcast about runner-ups or another article about runner-ups. It's too painful. But then then you got like people like Jordy Tapas who walked away or Rolf Arness who walked away. Uh, oh, but Rolf Arness, uh, Rolf Arness is a bit more it's of It's more, but I'm saying they left. They left surfing in yeah. some ways after the yeah. opportunity but yeah, Rolf's a totally different story, I guess. All right. Uh, well, so we should uh, start to. We've been talking for an hour and forty minutes. I think this is. I think we're be, getting. This, I think we're we're fulfilling a record, right? Uh, here. Well, we might have to do a two-parter on this. I think this episode. Oh, I thought you were going to say, "Let's just stick it out. Let's, let's dig our heels in. Eighteen more minutes, we'll go for the two-hour record. It's never been done before in podcast history. <laughs> well, yeah, What's the right. longest podcast you've ever listened to? Oh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I think I did like a 10-hour episode. Like 10-hour. Yeah, he, a Dan Carlin. episode without a break. Yeah, he's done like crazy six-hour long podcasts. Bloody hell. It's full history, but it's really good. It's really Ten fun. 10 hours. So, all right. So, let's get on with Stump My Bro. All right. So, um, James, I'm going to let you go first. Being it's a new year and uh, want you to have. You I know. think I always go first. Oh, no, I will go in first last time, maybe. Well, I've gone first. Go I mean, check. Yeah. I'm happy to go first. All right. Age before so, beauty. So, my one, as I always like to say, it's probably too easy. You'll get it right away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, my one, I, 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 it, it came to me. Not necessarily because I think it's an amazing stump question, but okay. So remember, I uh, alluded to that the newest "Ain't That Swell" podcast, yeah, which was brilliant. I mean, I I was laughing out loud. They're so and good. They're so good and very insightful. And as I said, they brought up stuff that I was I was thinking, oh, I wish maybe they need to talk about this. And then they would talk about. It. I said, oh, these guys are good. <laughs> But they said something which I felt like needed a slight correction or an add mm -hmm. to it. So they were talking about Kalea Moniz and mm -hmm. pulling into crazy barrels at uh, chopes. You know, um, chopes and everything. And they were talking about how uh, at 
that iCow contest. I, uh, maybe it was 90. The one where it was really gray, mm-hmm. but really big. The 1991, um, the Brock Little one. The one where Brock Little didn't win, but Brock yeah. Little kicked ass. And they talked about how the uh, Tony got this crazy. Bar- anyway, yeah. So they talk about Brock's barrel. And they said he was the first one to really pull into a big barrel at Waimea Bay. Bullshit. James Booby Jones. There you go. You answered the question. We needed to get that out there. James Booby Jones, first to get barreled at Waimea. Let's just set the record straight. And there's a whole Surfer's Journal profile, which tells you all you need to know about (laughs) that. That's right. But, you know, (laughs) but I get it. You know, they're, they're getting barreled at Waimea was not a normal thing. Uh, And there's... Well, probably not that many people who could claim getting barreled. Slater's done it. Slater, Ross Williams. uh, You know, I've seen footage of it. Um, Andy Irons on the inside getting fully barreled and Bruce. That's right. (laughs) I got a cover up at pinballs once. Does that count? Yeah. Why not? (laughs) J.B. Brewer. Okay. Okay. here's, Here's mine. All right. Okay. Who was listed as the number one male surfer in the return of Surfer Magazine's Hot 100 in 1994? Was it Kalani Rob? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got it. I I kind of damn. I blew my water. Too easy. Too easy. I know. Well, I mean, (laughs) but okay. Uh, Yeah. Oh, maybe we should pause. That was way too easy. Record. Okay. Okay, we we so, can't pause this. We can't actually. We need to see each other. It needs to come from our brains. It oh, what we're going to stump each other? And and you cannot use your computer to look for anything. Okay. Right um, no, just get, maybe we'll let's give just it. Think. Give it one minute here. Uh, maybe do we need a, a category? Maybe that'll help us focus. On well, it has to be young. Phenoms. Let's focus focus on young phenoms. Um, okay. Um, Let's do this. Let's play the game of um, I'm thinking of, and you have six guesses to figure out who it is. How about that? Okay. And we'll each think of a young phenom that, uh, you know, that we can kind of guess. Because you're good at this one. This one's all you. Think of my phenom. Okay. (laughs) No, okay. (laughs) I just have to give you a clue. This is just a warm up right here. Okay. Michael Ho's protege. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, don't do that one. Um, gotcha. Uh, okay, let me, yeah. Let's... That's <laughs> like becoming an in, a running gag on the show. A running gag. <laughs> Michael Ho's protege. His name was Gotcha. Don't know what his real name was. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh... I, I just got to think of my young phenom right now. <laughs> I'm saying phenom so many times it's not even making any sense and it's lost I all know. meaning. <laughs> Prodigy. Oh, there we okay. go. Prodigy. I need to listen. We need to like Oh, we should have played some Prodigy as our Yeah, we still can. <laughs> maybe as our outro right yeah. there. Um ba, 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 ba. have you got a surfer in your I life? do. Okay, well, all right. So, so what I have to ask you six questions. I have to ask you yeah. questions. Yeah. Oh, this is such a throw. Well, okay, uh, uh, male or female? Male. Okay. And it has does it? Maybe I have to ask you yes or no questions. Otherwise, I can you can narrow it down too much. Okay. Is uh, it? Oh, okay. Well, what decade? All right. 
Uh, oh no yeah you can't ask that one uh, oh <laughs> uh, all right no no okay yeah 90s 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 okay um uh, and i can i ask like what country they're from yeah u.s okay, what, united states okay um east coast or west coast west right, how many questions have i asked you so far five um and uh has have they made it into the top 44? Yes. Okay. All right. Oh, but that's, oh, that's that doesn't <laughs> give me anything. Let's give some yeah. more questions. We can do some more. We don't have to limit it to six. How about that? Let's keep okay. going. Okay. All right. And um, so they made it into the top 44. Did they make it into the top five? That's the thing. Are they like a success story? I think uh, one year they did. Okay. So someone who we thought should have... Is it Shane Beshin then? No. Okay. Okay. All right. How many tries do I get here? Uh, we'll go with two. Two more guesses will allow you. But you can ask more questions. A few more questions. Um, did they have a, a car accident which ruined their fa scarred their face? No. Okay. So it's not Taylor Knox. No. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, well, I guess I think who are the California? I mean, so there's Shane Beshin, Taylor Knox, and Ramachado. I mean, no, there's so oh, much more in the 90s that made it into the top five. Yeah. Californians who made yeah. it into the top five. Yeah. Okay. So Shane Beshin, Ramachado, Taylor Knox, and they did it in the 90s. In the 90s. I mean, Brad you're like he did it in well they didn't they didn't make it into the top i don't know if they made it into the top five in the 90s but they were a teen phenom in the 90s yeah they were a teen phenom in the 90s chris brown no, um, no not with the wraparound all right uh, uh, okay timmy kern here and now Ah, oh, do you know what this yeah. is poor guy i never would have come up with him I completely yeah. forgot about Timmy. How did I forget about Timmy Curran? He's he was like with that Ali Oop, you know, in you know the what? beginning of focus, like blew everyone's minds. Yeah, we were talk uh, were we talking about someone who uh, like history is kind of forgotten. I don't feel like he's mentioned he's much anymore. Like he's, he's not, but he still plays music. Uh, no, no, but but know. what I'm saying is like you know, we talk about how um you know how we were talking about how Terry Fitzgerald doesn't get his dues? Yeah. He's so prominent. Yeah. Timmy Curran has dropped off the map. Like when they when they talk about the momentum generation, they don't. I was surprised Curran. that he was not featured in that at all because he was, he was such a, a major force. Yeah. You know, that that opening alley oop and focus, you know, that was like I remember seeing that and being like, what the fuck? Who's this guy? California. Oh my God. And he's got the black rail band on his board, like Curran, you know? <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a goofy foot, even better, you know? And like, he, he, I, you know, his problem is he didn't, he didn't uh, thrive in the bigger surf. And mm. I don't think he ever really, it never felt like he put on the weight to, to really uh, grunt his surfing. His surfing was beautiful and really progressive but it it seemed to have lacked the the power uh i think and and there's like 
I don't know. It just never fully evolved to to the point where he could compete. I think for no, this and there's so many factors yeah. involved into who gets promoted, and sometimes it's who you know. Uh, I remember once like Donovan Frankenrider in a very candid uh, moment. He he really said that you know like the reason I'm famous is I work for it. I answer my phone calls. I make plans to meet the photographer. This isn't just, you know, like I, 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 and and it was like, it wasn't him like demanding respect. It was him being really honest and saying like, you know, if you want to be famous, you got to work for this shit, you know? And it was like, (laughs) of course that makes so much sense. You know, you, you always think that like, Oh, it's totally by chance, but like, yeah, if you put yourself out there, if you do the hard yards, if you grow a mustache, you know, it's not you no grow a mustache. That's only part of it. I mean, he yeah. he earns his buck and, and and maybe, yeah, maybe Timmy Kern, I don't know. Maybe he didn't want to maybe I mean Timmy Kern's an a real artist, you know, he's a musician, yeah. you know. Maybe that's what he focused on rather than promoting himself, you know. I don't that's, know. That's that's very possible, you know, and I think um he was also he, he promoted really hard in the early in the nineties. I mean, like yeah, the beginning Rick yeah. pushed him hard. Um, you know, he had his own video signature video. He was doing lots of video parts, like acting in parts. You know, doing you know skits with Taylor Steele and Marshall Hattori. So I mean, like he 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 was doing it in like two thousand the early two thousands. Like you know he bounced on and off the tour i think uh he was on then got off and then came back on for a little bit but never had full success um i think he did win one event um and that was it but it just you now then like i think he went to do kind of the free surfer music thing and he really was into his music and, and that probably consumed his life got married had kids well you that's know. the thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah he was a family guy yeah you know. uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right i got someone all right, all right you got someone okay yeah. is it bigger than a bread box <laughs> don't ask these <laughs> questions this is not okay it's 2021 tyler <laughs> the office um okay <laughs> i was quoting anyway okay um regular foot goofy foot oh that's which one uh yeah uh goofy foot okay um what decade uh 80s of course okay. it's me you know regular <laughs> uh, could have been the 70s you know okay uh, i can't do this <laughs> and occasionally a bit of the 60s as well you start to lose me after uh <laughs> you lose me at uh, you lose me at the year after you be year before once Curran got on a rick twin <laughs> that's oh. it um okay uh so 80s regular foot um no goofy foot goofy foot sorry goofy foot 80s uh what was their sponsor who was their sponsor? Uh, main closing was, sponsor? um quicks quicksilver okay goofy foot 80s quick um let's see then uh maybe you should ask questions and judge by my facial expression what if <laughs> uh, oh yes you're you twitching american american or australian australian okay yes. <laughs> listeners can't see your face so <laughs> no, but you can describe it to people <laughs> he looks <laughs> constipated folks <laughs> he looks 
He's got that Tucker Carlson constipated look on his face. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have his Tucker's lovely hairline. No, you don't. (laughs) Is that real? What his hairline? Tucker Carlson's Carlson's hair. I mean, I don't know. I just feel dirty saying his name. (laughs) All right. Um, Okay, so Australian Goofy Foot, Quicksilver, um, Chappie Jennings. Yeah. Damn, I got it. Love Chappie. Yeah, who doesn't love Chappie? No, such a dude. Dude, chap lips. Seemed to go on to live a pretty all right life, too. You know, seemed pretty content. No, didn't seem like. I don't know. Well, what do you, I mean, okay, so. What have you in, heard? Because I've not, I've not followed too much. So, so Surfing World magazine, you know, did a big interview with him, Kong, and Rabbit a couple of years ago. Did you I read that? that? No. Oh, I that. oh yeah, send I'll it send me. it to you. It's, and it's, um, you know, because the three of them were like rock stars yeah. in the 80s. And, um, I know he really, he tweaked his knee. I don't yeah. know what he did to his knee of his AC. I have to, forgot, but he hurt his knee really badly. Um, he was kind of, uh, and he was, um, I mean, obviously, like he was partying hard with those guys. But then he lived in France for a while, and he was very successful in like a French pro-am circuit. And But I think he fucked up his knee. And then I don't know what else happened, but in this article... Like, you know, he was uh, he was hanging drywall. That was his career. Yeah. And he didn't surf very much anymore. And he played a lot of golf and went and, you know, it, you know, like, a, you know, it kind of bet on the horses and stuff like that. So very, very what, what sound from that article is hard to tell that it sounded like a very ordinary lifestyle. And I, I don't know if that was by choice or by circumstance. Yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah. he was he was like he and he's someone who became famous not based on his competitive success but just on his surfing, great surfing and like his charisma, yeah. charisma, <laughs> and he the was name. very the yeah, name but like was so good. Chappie Jennings good. just sticks. Like, but have you watched Kong's Island? Yeah, you know, like it's just Surfing's just great. his facial expressions are like he's so cool. You know, like he's real he animated. Just, yeah, you want to like, you know, like a young little Mick Jagger, you know, like you just want to, <laughs> you want to be him. And uh, yeah, so yeah, not necessarily someone who is touted to be a giant killer, but someone who was young, very young and very much in the limelight for a while. That was my guy. Yeah, I like it. Well, um, that was a really fun episode. Uh, I could. I could talk for a while on f- young phenoms and prodigies. I, I think it's kind of a, f- I mean, there's honestly, there's still like probably lots of people that our listeners are like, how could you not mention that person or this person? So if oh, anyone dear. wants to mention it, just DM us on Instagram and let us know who we're missing from, from this list from, from many of this. Um, but yeah, James, happy new year is a good first episode for 2021. Good kickoff. 21 and 21 is when all those child phenoms are allowed to purchase uh, alcohol, alcohol in America. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> fitting year to do this. Excellent. Well, uh, we hope everyone in listening enjoyed. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, Matt's uh, in-depth knowledge on all this as well. And uh, we'll see you on down the line. Yoop.